Today's text is from Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew's Gospel. Hear now the words of your Savior. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's give thanks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would sow it in our hearts today so that it might bear much fruit, that we would listen to the words of our Savior, that you would um, guide us by your Holy Spirit into all truth, deliver us from every error, deliver us from every distraction, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Why is it so difficult for you to ask for help? Why, when you clearly have a need when there's a task that you physically can't accomplish on your own, or there's some necessary resource or item or solution which you lack, why is it so difficult for you to speak up and ask for help? Why is that so hard to say, I need help? Well, there could be many barriers. It could be many reasons. Maybe you don't ask for help because you're a people pleaser. You think it's your job to keep everyone else happy, and if you ask somebody for something, well, then you're going to put them out. You're going to inconvenience them. And you would rather go without than to inconvenience anyone else. Or maybe you have a kind of inferiority complex. You don't think of other people helping you as an act of kindness or friendship on their part, but you think it's an act of pity. So you're not worthy of other people's time. You don't think you're worthy of other people's friendship. You certainly don't want to guilt anyone into doing anything. So you'd just rather not bother. You'd rather not ask. Or you don't ask for help because you value your independency and your self-sufficiency. You think everyone ought to be as independent as you are. And it really frustrates you when people ask you for things you may have even been taken advantage of by people at various times. There are people who don't have any boundaries over what they ask for, and they just take and take and take. It's always asking for something. You don't want to answer the phone when you see their number because you know they're going to be asking for something. And if you ask for assistance, then maybe people will think that you're kind of a charity case who is incapable of taking care of themselves. And you don't want to be that. You don't want to be indebted to anybody. And so you don't ask for help. Maybe you have a difficulty asking for help because you tried it one time. You mustered the courage to ask for help and it went really badly. You were denied, you were ignored, you were treated like a burden and it was completely embarrassing. Never gonna do that again. I learned my lesson. Well, whatever your hangups, whatever your inhibitions are when it comes to asking people for help, there is absolutely no basis for carrying any of those same fears into your relationship with your heavenly father. The Lord Jesus is very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that like a loving father, your creator wants to hear your requests. He wants you to approach him. He directs us to ask him for what we need with the promise that he is going to provide. You are not 
inconveniencing him. You are not an aggravation. He doesn't look at you like you're a loser if you're praying for what you need. And however independent you think you are, however self-sufficient you think you are, you have nothing if God doesn't give you strength and health and if he doesn't give you his good providence unless he causes your work to prosper, unless he guards you against the thief and the devourer, you are completely dependent upon him. And so it's silly to approach God with some air of independence. Like, I've got this pretty much licked on my own, Lord, but, you know, if you have anything to add, you know, just the cherry on top, just push me over the edge, that's fine. That doesn't, that's not how it works. And on top of all that, the Lord Jesus tells us here that our Heavenly Father is ready to hear. He's not going to ignore you. He's not going to dismiss you. He's not going to roll his eyes. If you really want to please him, if you're a people pleaser, how about being a God pleaser? Because it pleases him to hear from you. It pleases him when you ask for what you need, when you go to him humbly in a posture of dependence upon him, rather than wrapping yourself in anxiety and frenzy, trying to prove that you can work it out on your own apart from him. No, there are things that you need for life and godliness that you can only get from your heavenly father. He is the source of wisdom and peace and forgiveness and salvation. And if you don't ask, you don't receive and you will suffer in your pride. So it's so far from being selfish or prideful or weak or annoying to ask our Heavenly Father for what we need. Jesus says, this is what children do with good fathers. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus has already taught us how to pray. He gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. And now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he comes back to the subject one more time to remind us before he closes that you're not dealing with, when you, when you talk about your heavenly father, you're not dealing with a cold, distant, disaffected, compassionless deity. He encourages, Jesus encourages us to call upon his father as any child would call upon their father. And, and, and Jesus makes some bold promises so that he can correct any timidity or doubtfulness that we might have in prayer. He exhorts us to boldness and confidence. Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. There is this ascending scale of urgency and persistence. It, it intensifies, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, keep on and keep on, asking and seeking and knocking. And that persistence is, uh, is echoed, this exhortation to persistence is echoed in Luke's gospel. Remember Jesus told this parable about the unjust judge or the compassionless judge who very proudly doesn't fear God and he doesn't fear man. And then there's this oppressed widow who comes to this unjust judge who repeatedly, incessantly petitions the judge for justice. And then the judge eventually gives in to the widow and he avenges her against her adversary. And this is what the judge in the parable says, though I do not fear God, no regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming, she weary me. And what the judge says, you're wearing me out. I'm going to give you what you want just so you'll go away, just so you'll stop bothering me. And the Lord Jesus teaches us in that parable that his father is 
infinitely more compassionate, infinitely more good and just and ready to hear than a corrupt human judge. Jesus says then, shall not God judge and avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, even though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. So what Jesus is teaching in that parable is if even a compromised human judge is going to answer the persistent prayer of the oppressed, do you really think the wise judge of all the earth is going to ignore you? Well, that's in Luke 18. Here, Jesus makes a similar argument, referencing not earthly judges, but earthly fathers. He says, if your son asks you for bread, what are you going to give him? Would you give him a stone? Would you really do that? If your son asks you for a fish, would you give him a serpent? Now, I know some of you are thinking, because I know how you think. You think, yeah, that, that'll get him. When it, there might be some kind of cruel, capricious father who would do such a thing. Maybe there was a negligent father who would ignore his children. When I say you're thinking, it's like as a trick or as a joke or something. Yeah, watch this. But, but Jesus makes an appeal to his audience and their natural love for their children. He says, you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children. What he's saying there is that you, you're, your affections are disordered. You're sinners. None of you are perfect fathers and you know how to give good gifts to your children. Your father in heaven loves you more than you love your children. Do you think that in making your request to your father in heaven that he's going to somehow make your life worse? that you would get the attention of God in a negative way and that he would take the opportunity to play with you or to torture you. Now, if they had soaked up any of the pagan views of the gods of the Greeks and Romans, if they had soaked any of that up, they might have thought that very thing. They, they might have thought if they had, had, had any echoes of pagan theology echoing around in their mind, they might have think that God may be like, Zeus in some way, who's not just, he's not fair, he's not good in any sense, but he does play with people. He is mercurial. He is arbitrary. Zeus is in the way that he deals with people. The gods of the pagan world, they all were dangerous and they were powerful forces that you better steer clear of. Don't do anything to provoke them. And if you ask them for bread, they may just give you a stone out of boredom, because that's what they do. If you ask them for a fish, you might get a snake. And that was the mentality of the Greeks and the Romans toward their God and all of their gods. Jesus says, your father in heaven is so far removed from that. Jesus counters that, at that distorted understanding with this very clear directive. I'm going to read it again from verse seven. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. What does Jesus mean? Why does he use three different words? Why does he say ask and seek and knock? Why, what, is, what is he doing here? Well, when Jesus says ask and it will be given to you, what is very simple. That's the easy one to understand, right? He means communicate your needs and your desires to your Father in heaven. What is on your mind? What is distracting you from worship right now? What are you worried about? What is that nagging thing that as soon as you close your eyes at night, that's the thing that is at the forefront of your mind? What are you fearful of? What do you need? Have you prayed about it? I'm seriously, I'm asking you, have you prayed about it? 
Have you spent time asking for the solution to, to your problem? Have you asked for what you need? Because that's what followers of Jesus do. They pray. They don't flounder in fears about how they're going to solve their own problems in their own strength. They ask and they know in asking that they are praying to a God who is listening, who is compassionate, who is just, and who is very near to their suffering and who is near to their grief and who will answer. That's the easy one. Ask means ask. Ask. It's simple. Ask. And then Jesus says, seek and you will find. Seeking is a matter of focusing our thoughts. Our, our, our minds are engaged and we pay attention to what God is doing in us and in the world around us. We, in seeking, inquire about what God's will is in all of this and through all of this. Ask questions. Ask hard questions. That's what seeking is. And look for the answers and be ready to receive the answers when they're given to you. The Psalms are full of this language about seeking because the Psalms are full of hard questions for God. How long, O oh Lord? Why, O oh Lord, does this wicked man seem to prosper and we're struggling over here? So the Psalms exhort us to seek. Psalm 27, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Yahweh, I will seek. Psalm 34, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek Yahweh shall not lack any good thing. Psalm 105, seek Yahweh and his strength. Seek his presence continually. See, the exhortation over and over is to ask the questions, look for him, and to seek his presence, his wisdom, his nearness his communion and fellowship. Psalm 119, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. He calls for us to persistently and passionately look for him, to consider all the evidences of his love and his mercy and his justice all around us. And he promises us that when we do that, he will be found. Our questions will be answered in Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Seeking is being tuned into what God is doing, inquiring and pressing into that. So Jesus says, ask, and then he says, seek, and then he says, knock, and it will be open to you. Here he's talking about taking action. If, uh, if you're behind a door and I need something from you, I'm gonna knock. And if I know you're in there, I'm going to keep knocking. And if I know you're ignoring me, I'm going to knock louder. And I'm going to keep knocking until you get up and open the door and come give me what I need. In the same way, Jesus calls for us to be persistent in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Asking is verbal. That means there are times we must pray out loud. Use your tongue to articulate your petitions and ask for what you need. Seek with your mind, calibrate your priorities, focus your heart on what God is doing and what his will and good pleasure is. Knocking is a physical action and prayer is never divorced from doing. 
It's not as if all we have to do is pray and then that sorts everything out and then we never need to do. No, John says in 1 John 3.18, he says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So uh, there is a profession of the tongue and the, and the belief of the heart and the mind and the, and the nearness of the spirit to our spirit, but there's also deed. There's also carrying out uh, the, the, the duties and the faithfulness that, that God requires of us. So, so pray, absolutely pray for your daily bread and then put on your boots and go to work to earn your bread. Ask, pray to be forgiven your debts and then go keep short accounts and exercise mercy with people around you. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all of our mind, not just our mind, not just our heart, not just our soul, but in our strength. So when Jesus says knock, knocking means doing something. Knocking often looks like doing something, being faithful even as we pray. Even as I say all of this, you may have thought before and you may be thinking right now, look, uh, what is the point of praying? If God is sovereign, he is going to do whatever he is going to do, no matter what I do or say. Why would I even have to nudge him or even could I in any way? What is the point of prayer? Well, the first answer to that is that in the infinite wisdom and design of God, it pleases him to do things in the world that are requested by his people. This is how he set up the world to run. This is how he has ordained all things to go. He has ordained that he will grant the good, faithful requests of his people, and it delights him to answer their prayers. From a human perspective, it appears that there are things God won't do until his children ask for it. James, in his epistle, James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not, what? Ask. James says, we'll do just about anything in the world. Oh, we've tried covenanting, We've tried fighting. We've tried wrestling. We've tried feuding. We've tried killing. I mean, we've tried everything, but you haven't asked. How many times do you find yourself thinking, you know, well, I guess we tried everything else. I guess all there's left to do is just pray. Just, just pray. Just pray? There's so much incorrect thinking and bad theology packed into just those two little words, just pray. As if, as if, you know, that's the last chance. One in a million, roll the dice. You know, pick a card. One, one, scratch the lottery ticket. One last thing. Just take the chance. As if that's what it is praying and not what prayer actually is, which is approaching the throne of your heavenly father, who is the creator of the cosmos, who has at his disposal all of the riches and resources of the universe to answer your prayers, who loves you more than you can possibly imagine and who wants to hear from you. And we say, oh, just pray. Just pray. Seriously. Someone once wrote, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. 
I'm going to read that again. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And in his sovereign rule of the cosmos, the triune God has baked the prayers of his church into his eternal decrees. He has, he has uh, engineered the world to run in such a way that prayer is part of his work in the world. Prayer is the way that God has chosen for us to express our needs to him and to humble ourselves before him as children. Imagine that if God did not desire or request the prayer of his people, that he would just spin history along without us ever participating in it, without us, without us ever voicing our needs or desires, without any of our, 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 our wants ever being included or considered, uh, without us ever once acknowledging him or him acknowledging us. That's not the way he built things. In his wisdom, he has ordained prayer. And you, you may have been tempted to think that prayer doesn't really accomplish much. It appears that wicked men and nominal Christians, they all just get, they get along fine without prayer. I mean, they, they get promotions at work, their children get accepted to college, they get sick and they get better, and everything just seems to work out fine for them. And, and they're doing all that and everything's going just fine. And I'm over here bent over in prayer. What gives? Why does it seem that things work out? Because it sure looks like prayer is a waste of time. You may think that. We need to remember that there's a distinction between the relationship that the wicked and unbelievers have to God as their creator and the relationship that you and I have to God as our father. There's a stark contrast there. Uh, as creator, there are many gifts that God gives to all men. He gives to all men the breath that they breathe. He gives them water and food and babies. And if you work hard, you plant your seeds and, and you water them, uh, you'll get a harvest. That, that will happen. Uh, whether or not you pray or whether or not you believe or whether or not you ever attend worship, things will happen. The scriptures say that he gives life to all flesh, that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. The sun doesn't just rise for Christians. The sun rises for everybody. But there is a significant difference between God's gifts as creator and his gifts as father. Everybody gets sun and rain, but not everybody gets redemption. Everybody uh, can plant a seed and grow a tomato vine, but not, not everybody gets forgiveness, eternal life. Not everybody gets conformed to the image of Jesus. Not everyone is delivered from evil. Not everyone has the peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Not everyone gets faith and hope and love. Not everyone has the stabilizing, sanctifying, unwavering, deep-rooted, abiding communion and fellowship of the triune God. Only those who are united to Christ. Only those who call on the name of the Lord. Only those who are uh, appearing before him in worship. There are gifts of God that are not distributed indiscriminately. There are gifts of God that are not bestowed by God universally. But there are those gifts that are reserved for those who call on him, those who petition him, those who ask and seek and knock. And the only way to gain these blessings is to ask for them. Humble yourself as a child and ask. So then 
you may be thinking. Are you saying that we should only pray for spiritual things and not physical things? Because everybody, you know, gets the gifts of creation, but you're talking about spiritual stuff. Maybe we should just pray for spiritual things. Not at all. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for our daily bread. Because God is our Father, and we worship Him as our provider, when we pray as His children, we acknowledge Him as the source of our bread. We, we pray for bread not because we're afraid that He's going to starve us or He's going to leave us out. We pray for bread because we know that it comes from Him, and it's proper to remind ourselves and everyone else of our dependence upon Him. Remember when Jesus healed 10 lepers and then he said, go present yourself to the priest and go do the uh, Levitical cleansing, go follow that order. And they did. And one came back and fell down on his face and worshiped Jesus. What, what's going on there? What, what happened? One of the 10 uh, gave thanks to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. 10 were cleansed. One came back and worshiped the son. 10 were healed. One fell down in his face and gave thanks to the savior. 10 went to the temple. One came back and was saved. That, that is the difference. One worshiped as a son. The rest received the blessings of God as creator. So in our habits in prayer, uh, we, we uh, must address and approach God as Father, if, if uh, our, our habits in prayer are only as important as our relationship is to God, are you content in having this casual relationship to God as creator, or do you desire to know him as a son knows his father? Well, if so, then you ask, and you, you seek, and you knock. We may ask then, why does it seem that I don't get the thing that I pray for? Why, why, does, why does it not happen on the schedule that I ask for? There's something I want that, that, that I want so badly I can taste it. And I keep asking and I keep asking and I keep asking and it isn't happening. Well, because God is a good father and he only gives his children good gifts, things that are good for him. And the things that he has for you right now is better than the thing that you're asking for. Even if the thing that you have right now is more complicated and more painful or more troublesome, right now, it's the thing that's conforming you to the image of Christ. It's the thing that he wants for you. It's the thing that he's good, is good for you. Just as, you know, uh, your child may ask for his, you know, third handful of Oreos, and instead you say, no, you've got to do 10 push-ups. The push-ups are painful and, and uh, strenuous, but they're good for you. They're good for you right now. And, and this is a wise father that we're asking. He, he gives us what is good for us. And he knows what's not good for us. Jesus said, he's not going to give us a stone. He's not going to give us a serpent. Well, well, what if that's what you're asking for? The thing that you think you need so badly, what if you're asking for a stone? What if you're asking for a serpent without knowing it? Now, an irresponsible father would just give you something, whatever you're asking for, just to get you to shut up and go away. But a compassionate father is not going to give his son a rattlesnake no matter how many times he asks. You can urgently ask your father for a copperhead and you can keep asking and you can keep asking and say, I want a pet copperhead and I'm going to whine to everybody else and I'm not getting it. But no, son, you're not getting it. You're not getting one. 
And that's how our father answers us often. We can be thankful to God that he's not going to give us just anything that crosses our mind or anything that we think we need. There are things in your life, as you look back in your past, there are things I'm sure that you can remember at the time you wanted so badly. You thought this is the path to contentment and peace and blessing in my life. This is the thing I want. Instead of giving you that thing, God closed the door to that and he built a detour way around it. And now as you look back in your life, you give thanks for that detour. You give thanks for that closed door because the thing you wanted ultimately was not what was not good for you. And where you are now today is so much better because he diverted you around it. So this is not a universal promise that God is beholden. He's not obligated to give you anything that enters your head. As a good father, he has a much better way for you than you could ever think or imagine. So that part of the process of prayer and growing in prayer is that in the course of asking and seeking and knocking, we are answered, we are shaped, we are grown many times in ways that we can't expect. And he answers us in ways that we can't expect. But we learn through this process what pleases God. We discover what kind of requests please him and which petitions he is pleased to fulfill. We learn how to not be entirely consumed with our own worries and needs, but with the sorrows and the sufferings of the broader church and of the broader world. We learn to conform our desires to his desires as we humble ourselves before him, to accept all of his answers to be content in his wisdom, to rest in his sovereignty. This is what we learn through faithful prayer. Jesus ends this little section with a, with a verse that summarizes all the law and the prophets. I'll read verse 12 again. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This may seem out of place. It may, it may look like this doesn't flow with the rest of the instruction here, but the truth is that People who are too prideful to ask for help also tend to be the same kind of people who don't want to be bothered helping others. Maybe they just have a really strict wooden sense of justice that if you have a lack, if you have a need, if you're suffering from something, well, then that's what you deserve. And so you just, you just deserve that. You're getting what you deserve. Don't bother me with your problems. You figure it out on your own. And then Jesus comes here and busts that wide open with this statement that points to our interconnectedness and our interdependence. You need other people, whether you like it or not. And you're put here for other people. And so he says, you must treat other people the way that you wish to be treated. Whatever you want other people to do for you, you take the initiative and do it for them. See how he sets this up. He says, um, whatever you want men to do for you, do also to them. So the desire comes first and the action follows. You, it, he doesn't say whatever men are already doing for you and you like about it, then you just respond in kind. No, he puts the initiative on us. We want uh, something, we want to be treated, uh, we want to be uh, considered a certain way. So now you take the initiative. You, you don't wait for somebody to come be a friend with you or serve you or notice that you have needs and then you respond to it. No, you extend yourself and you actively do for others what you want others to do for you. Well, well, this is just another way that God answers the prayers of his people through the gifts and the resources of his children. Now, there's more to say about verse 12, and we'll probably save that for next time. But for now, let's receive 
this very simple instruction, this very simple exhortation from Jesus. What role does prayer play presently in your life? What role does prayer play in your present relationship with your heavenly father? Are you a praying person? Do you make a habit, a point of praying a lot? We get to pray a lot together when we're here on Sunday. There are several prayers. Wednesday night prayer meeting is starting up soon. There's a whole uh, time to pray together and talk about our needs and, and bring them together in prayer. Those are good opportunities. But are there other specific times of the day or the week where you make a habit to deliberately make time to talk to God, to ask for what you need. If you don't know what to say, you don't know where to start, use the Psalms. You're never gonna pray for something frivolous. You're never gonna pray for something nonsensical or foolish if you're praying the Psalms. He loves to hear the Psalms. He wants you to pray them. So you pray them out loud. Just take one, read it out loud, pray through it, and then, and then stop and Read a phrase and turn that into a prayer or get a good old prayer book full of the ancient prayers of the church. I can help you find one or take your bulletin with you. There are things to pray for on the back of the bulletin. There are prayers inside the bulletin uh, so that you can pray when you're getting ready in the morning. You can pray when you're driving. It's okay to pray with your eyes open when you drive. You don't have to close your eyes. You can pray with your eyes open. Do you pray when you hear an ambulance or when you hear a fire truck, Lord, have mercy. I don't know what's going on there, but Lord, Lord, have mercy on them. Pray when you drive past a mosque or a Hindu shrine or a synagogue, or you see Mormons on bicycles. Pray, Lord, deliver us from idols. Lord, deliver us from unbelief. Or you could even pray when you pass a big steeple church with a rainbow flag. Or you could pray when you pass a reformed church or... Any others, pray when you pass an abortion mill or you drive through the Capitol downtown. Pray before you eat. Pray before you start any task. Pray before you make any decision. Pray before you take a trip. Every occasion of life is an occasion for prayer. At every point, stop and pray. As, as one preacher said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening the exhortation here is to treat your God as a heavenly father, to talk to him constantly, to have a real relationship with him through prayer. Let him know your desires. Ask and seek and knock and see what happens. Expect some surprises. Expect some coincidences. Don't expect, however, that he's too busy for you or he doesn't care. He is your father. You are his child. He loves you far more than you can fathom. So ask and seek and knock. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would grant us stability and comfort in the middle of this fleeting an unstable life. Deliver us from pride. Please grant us humility. Give us a perfect trust in you by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.